Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Rev. Todd Laddick, and today I'm bringing to you part three of a four-part series entitled I See You, with today's message specifically entitled Respect for the Stranger, based off of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. So let us dive into the Word today. Look. The highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love, and he chose you, their descendants above all other nations, as is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and and widows receive justice. He shows love to foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you, too, must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be made in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. When your ancestors went down into Egypt, there were only 70 of them. But now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Amen. Last week we talked about listening and then being compelled to act as followers of God. As followers, our action must always, always be based on God's view of the stranger and how God calls us to love them. I recently watched the limited series Them on Prime, on Prime Video. Those who took uh, uh, the spring Bible st- or book study with me uh, heard of this series uh, as our study was done on James, Dr. James H. Cohn's The Cross and the Lynching Tree and dealt with Jim Crow and racism, not just in the Jim Crow South, but throughout the nation. And uh, I had shown them the trailer for this show and suggested that they watch it, as I suggest to you as well. Them addresses head-on the great migration of blacks who were seeking to escape the Jim Crow South in the 40s and 50s and 60s in order to move to places promising equality and the American dream. Such places included Brooklyn, the Bronx, and other parts of New York City, the south side of Chicago, Minneapolis, and West Compton. And today we may know many of these places to be the quote-unquote inner city, predominantly black and high with crime and gang violence. Them follows a black family who migrated from North Carolina to West Compton with the hope of starting off with a fresh slate and living the American dream. 
at that time, in my mom's birth year of 1953, West Compton was a suburban community of middle-class white people. It literally looked like a neighbor, uh, like a neighborhood out of out of uh, the Dick Van Dyke Show or Leave It to Beaver or the Truman Show, as opposed to the gritty NWA straight out of Compton image we have of it today. Despite their best efforts to start with a new life, with a fresh slate in a new and hopefully more welcoming place, they found an even more pernicious, more hidden form of racism. They were the outsiders, the strangers, and they were most unwelcome. The racism this family was subjected to began to drive them into madness and began to rob them of their happiness and togetherness. In church on Sunday, this on today, actually, um, I, I showed a clip from this series where... Um, Ruby, the, it follows Ruby, the daughter of, uh, of the, this family that moved out to West Compton. And she's in a janitor closet hiding away um, by herself after having tried out for cheerleading. And she's all alone, except that she's with a friend who happens to be white. It's the one white girl who who befriended her as far as we we've seen in in the show up to that point and the girl's telling her how amazing she did at the tryout and how high her kicks were and ruby uh smiles at that and the girl looks deep into ruby's eyes and says well what do you want and she says i want to be rid of this i want all this off of me my parents my mom my parents i want to be i don't want to be ugly like i am i want to be beautiful perfect like you are and the girl smiles and kisses ruby on the cheek and kisses her on the lips and then backs off and looks at her and says look look and ruby looks down and she unfolds her hands in front of her and they're white and then she uh then this girl hands her a mirror and says look and she looks into the mirror and though her face is black she's now got blue eyes as if she's slowly turning into a white blue-eyed blonde-haired girl like the one who befriended her and when she looks up from the mirror, her friend is gone. Not there. Nowhere to be found. And it's just her alone in the janitor's closet. And then she looks over across the room and she sees uh, shelving with cans of paint on it. And then it cuts to her opening up a paint, a paint can. And she sticks her hand into the paint can and pulls it back out again. And her hand is completely white with white paint. 
The next we see, it cuts to a scene of kids dancing at a bonfire on homecoming night. And they're all dancing and cheering and showing their school spirit. All white kids, girls with their pigtails and their uh, hush puppy shoes and um, and boys with their lettered jock, you know, um, sport jackets, varsity jackets. And, and all of a sudden they start turning and looking in horror and in judgment as Ruby passes them and she's completely white with paint from head to toe. And she goes to the front of the crowd and stands between the crowd and faces uh, and the bonfire and faces the crowd. And she starts to do her cheer routine. And you get this sudden image, by the way, everybody's looking at her beyond the fact that she has white paint, beyond the fact that she, uh, you know, people are judging her for being weird or, or messed up. Um, that she'll never be white no matter what she does to her skin to these kids. But more than that, you get the sense that she never even made the cheerleading team. And then when she realizes that everybody's staring at her the way that they are, she stops dancing and she pauses and you can see the fear on her face and she looks toward the bonfire and back at the kids again with horror gripping her, make, making her realize the, in the moment that She's never going to be accepted, ever. Doesn't matter how white she is, she'll always be a black kid to those, to those people. While I cannot possibly understand and know what it is like to be subjected to racism, none of us who are white can, by the way. None of us in America. I mean, sure, if we grew up somewhere else where... Whites, white people were the minority, uh, Caucasian people were the minority, maybe we would experience it. But in America, none of us who are white can. I can relate to the, while I can't relate to that, I can relate to the feeling of being an outsider in high school. My high school experience, in some regards, haunts me to this day. That is why, in part, I've had a long, lifelong struggle with depression, anxiety, and eating disorder, overeating in my in my case, and body image issues. The scene of the bonfire and the kids showing school spirit was horrifying for me to watch because I have vivid memories of being bullied, made fun of, and, and or singled out at such events. I went to my first homecoming bonfire my freshman year and that was also subsequently my last homecoming bonfire. Like Ruby, over time I, I lost myself and my love for myself because of internalizing the hate that was shown me. So I can relate with that. I can relate with that. I can relate with Being the stranger. But there were some beautiful things that came out of my traumatic high school experience, for sure. Um, for instance, I, I did end up making friends with people who cared for me. 
they were outcasts much like I was, and so we could relate to each other. While I won't say her name without permission, there was one girl in, in school that I remember being able to confide in. There, there were really more than one, but in, in this specific memory, I, there was this one girl. And I have a distinct memory of confiding in her and her and me uh, while sitting on the football field bleachers. Now, some of the football players were among the bullies. No doubt, but there, there I was in the in the place that I didn't fit in. I don't even know why I was there. If it was during gym class or, or when it was, but there I was, and I was being shown compassion and care by this this person. And there were, as, as I said, there were others like her too. Some very good friends that I made while in high school. The truth is that. In those moments, I now see that God was truly working through the, those people, letting me know that I was not alone. I wish I realized it then, but I do. I do realize it now, and that is even more important. We can't change what happened in the past, but I, I do remember. I do realize it now. Have you ever felt like a stranger, out of place? Have you ever felt like you didn't fit in or felt different from others around you or experienced a deep need? In these moments, have you experienced God's unconditional love and justice? Can you think of ways, looking back, that God let you know how much you are loved, how much you are valued, how much you belong in God's kingdom. The Bible's clear. As children made in God's image, we are to treat the foreigner and or the immigrant with empathy, compassion, justice, and inclusion. There are no ifs, ands, or buts to that. Period. Period. So, any seeming justification for not doing so is not biblical or righteous, including financial excuses or anything else. I've heard people say some of the, the, the most disgusting things. I've heard people justify their racism by saying, well, it's not that I'm against black people in general, but you know, when they move into the neighborhood, uh, my, my house value goes down, so I'd rather them not. Or uh, we can't we can't take in new immigrants because it'll cost this country way too much money and we're already in a deficit. Listen, that's racist. Period. That is racist. That is xenophobic. And to make matters worse, it does not clear you with God. There, there is no justification that trumps what God has commanded us to do. And God is very, very clear on how we are to treat immigrants, how we are to treat others, how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And it doesn't just say our white neighbors or our uh, U.S. American citizen neighbors. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And God even includes our enemies in that. Now, as a side note, I want to call out another spade here. I often hear people who would claim to not be racist or xenophobic 
say stuff like, if we let them in, soon we'll be the minority. Let's think about that for a second. Who are them? Kind of funny, because we just talked about a show called Them. Who are them? Who are we? We just watched a clip from them. So really think about it. That is as racist and xenophobic as any statement gets. It is the us versus them mentality with us being the supposedly superior white folk and them being the people of color or the immigrant. There's no way around it. That is racist, and we need to be rid of that argument. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 17 through 19 is not an isolated passage. It is part of a major theme throughout the Bible starting in Genesis chapter 1 and continuing on through Revelation. Time and again through scripture, God blesses those who treat the stranger with kindness and curses those who do not. See, for example, in Psalm chapter 146 verse 9, it is written, The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. In Jeremiah chapter 7 verses 5 through 7, it is written, It is written, But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice, only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows, only if you stop your murdering, and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols, then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. You can also check out Ezekiel chapter 22 verses 6 through 8, chapter 22 verse 9, and Malachi chapter 3 verse 5, etc. In verses 14 through 16 of Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says that God has chosen the Israelites and their descendants above all other nations and peoples, and for them to circumcise themselves as a sign of being set apart by God. Now this language makes some Christians uncomfortable and begs them to ask, doesn't God love everyone? I mean, doesn't he? Or, alternatively, some question, some Christians use this to justify an us-versus-them-chosen-versus-unchosen mentality. But context matters. Context absolutely matters. Verses 14 through 16 are not in a vacuum, but are part of a larger passage. And the rest of the passage says God is not partial and brings justice and love for all. Some of us Christians might think, that's more like it. But it is important to note and not overlook the fact that God does not elect, or excuse me, that God does elect the Israelites to be God's chosen people. This does not mean that, God's, that God does not love everyone else or that we can justify division. Rather, God chose the Israelites to be the people that reveal the character of God to the whole world world and show the world what it's like to live in covenant faithfulness. Friends, that is precisely why they must show God's love to the stranger. And because of our election into God's family through Jesus Christ, we too 
must do the same. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 14 through 22 both illustrates the foundation of God's law in nature, unconditional love and justice, and also models specific ways to treat the foreigner with dignity, with empathy, without partiality, and by advocating on their behalf. In the New Testament, this theme is given even greater emphasis through Jesus' call to welcome the stranger, his ministry outside the borders of Palestine, and Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. As God entered into human life in Jesus, God included more and more people in the work of showing the world who God is. This does not erase the special covenant God has with the Jewish people. It is evidence of it. The world increasingly comes to know the God of Israel. Again, as people who have been incorporated into the new covenant of Jesus' blood, we too are called to treat the stranger with dignity, empathy, impartiality, and by advocating on their behalf. Period. Hashtag seriously. So what does this mean? The core motivation in this passage is empathy. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You yourselves once knew what it was like to be in the foreigner, in the immigrant's spot. Are there any stories from your own family's history that might help you relate to the new immigrants among us? How were your ancestors treated when they first arrived in America? Dr. Arthur Sutherland from Loyola University points out the centrality of hospitality to God's plan. He wrote on page 206 in his book, I Was a Stranger, a Christian Theology of Hospitality, and I quote, Since God will, be, will always be a stranger to us, receiving God is receiving a stranger, someone different from us. And by stranger, God being a stranger to us, Meaning that God's, God's character, God's, God's uh, whole being is other than our being. We are created in God's image, but we are fallen, and we are filled with sin, and we are selfish, and God is everything but that. So, so in many ways, God and God's character is a stranger to our own, and always will be until that day where we are in the kingdom of God, fully redeemed and saved by the blood of the Lamb. And we are saved right now, but we, are, we have yet to enter into perfection. So receiving God is, is receiving a stranger, someone different from us. And we have to be open to that, otherwise we'll never receive God. Receiving God, therefore, is an act of faith, and so is receiving others. In fact, as Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So here are some important questions for us to reflect on. Over time, how welcoming has your church been to the stranger? I asked this question to my church, and I'll ask it here. 
What did your church look like back in, say, 1963? And how has your church changed demographically since then? Does your congregation reflect that change in its makeup? At my church, I know the answer to that question. And honestly, most churches know the answer to that question. It does not. It still looks mostly like the demographics of 1963. Why is that? I am sure... It was not intentional. In fact, it's because of a lack of intentionality. It is because we, along with many other churches, have not been intentional about showing hospitality to those who are the stranger. Moving forward, this will become a focal point for my church, and I hope it becomes a focal point for you and your church and and the way you approach ministry. How do we become a more hospitable place for the stranger? I pray that you will join me on that mission. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you so much for this message, which is so important for us. Help us to grow in this area of inclusion. Help us to grow in this area of respect for the other, respect for the immigrant, respect for the foreigner, respect for those of different color, those of different gender, those of different sexuality, those of any difference, Lord, for you have created us all and have called us to show respect and hospitality to one another. And so, Lord, help us grow to be such a people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, thank you for tuning in. Uh, And I I just want to... uh, uh, just remind you that in the episode notes down below you, there's plenty of things for you to look at. Um, if this is your main uh, spiritual sustenance for the week and you feel inclined by the Holy Spirit to give, we could always use your support. If this is supplemental and um, and you attend another church, uh, by all means support that church. If you want to support both of us, that's even greater, but definitely support your church as they need it as much as we do but the links are down below in the uh, episode notes as always friends remember you are richly blessed so be a blessing to others